You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Uh-huh. I just feel like I've been around the block, ripping up fantasy stock, working around the clock. Look at the view from the top. Researching rookies a lot? No, I just be listening to pods. Yeah, one in particular. I'm just a messenger. Let me just pass on the rock. Uh, browning, brunning, bruning, pronouncing ain't what he's doing. What he's doing is not losing, but infusing you with new things. And there's Dennis the Bennett. Yeah. The man is a menace, yeah. Building a dynasty, some of the finest things. Promise you, you won't regret it. Mm. Sly as a fox, cultured in pop. Give him his props. Here is a thought, here is a box. And you cannot compare him at all, so don't even try. Careful with the news, but when you use a take, I take up Tony Fire. I mean dire, because anyone else is a huge mistake. Whoa. Fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table. Yeah. Fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby. Hey. Fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table. Whoa. Fantasy round Table. Come take a look at the crown, baby. Go. What is going on, everybody? And holy Bill O'Brien's. I mean, that was uh, not at all the news I was expecting this afternoon. Uh, Definitely, I guess, an interesting way to start off what should be a fun end to the week four slate with two games going tonight with the Chiefs and Patriots starting in about two hours, a little less than two hours. And then obviously Packers and Falcons, which got pushed back. I saw like 10 minutes, I think. So not a big deal. I will not be watching most of that game because I'm going to be asleep. But Matt, how are you doing on this beautiful week four Monday? Doing pretty good. I actually think the Patriots game starts uh, at 7 Eastern, so probably like an hour and a half. Oh, yeah, it is an hour and a half. You're right. My bad. Even better. It'll be getting finish this up and have time to relax a little bit right before that gets rolling, at least my time. So that'll be uh, it'll be fun to have two games going tonight. It sucks about Devontae Adams because I had him rolling in quite a few lineups with absolutely no backup. So I'm just going to have to roll with the zero today. But Hopefully it won't cost me in too many leagues, but let's jump into it and talk about what we saw on Sunday. Had a quite a few uh, big name players coming through for you finally here, starting with the Bengals and the Jaguars in Jacksonville. Minshew comes in with 20 points, James Robinson, 14, DJ Tark, 29, and LaVisca Chenault, 14. 
we've seen, although Chenault did get injured in this one, I believe it was a little bit of a hamstring injury. Doesn't look like he's going to miss times, but time, but he has produced since probably, I think it was week two was his first game that he really started putting up points. Is he establishing himself as a flex shot, flex option for you? Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're using him more and more. So uh, that's, you know, he was getting some carries. He's getting passing work. Um, and, you know, Keelan Cole looked good the first two weeks, and then it's been kind of a non-factor. Um, they've had some other players catch passes here and there, but Chenault seems like kind of the most, I guess, safe number two receiving option. Yeah, if I had to choose anybody outside of Chark, if I had to start somebody, it would be Chenault. I'm still, you know, kind of what we talked about a little bit on Friday. Depending on the depth of the league we're talking about here, if you're talking about regular redraft leagues where you're probably starting one, maybe two flex, he's probably not in consideration for me just yet, though he might be now with uh, bye weeks coming up, or, or technically, I guess, bye week started this week with the Pittsburgh-Tennessee game, but having multiple teams go on by starting this week and the injuries we suffered this week as well. He might be uh, quickly moving up that board and worthy of a flex start every single week. On Cincinnati's side, Joe Burrow, 15 points. Mixon finally comes through with 42. Tyler Boyd, 16. T. Higgins, 13. A.J. Green, 1. Andrew Sample, 7. Mixon finally, as I mentioned, has that really big game. What are you doing with AJ Green, though? He has, you know, I feel like we, I, I keep using this qualifier every time we talk about him. If he doesn't get that PI called against me, has a good week one, but outside of that, he has not done anything this year. Yeah, and I think more concerning if you were holding out hope for AJ Green is that T Higgins really big in week three, but also had a pretty solid role. Um, yesterday seems to clearly be kind of a number two option. You know, I wondered about the wisdom of franchise tagging AJ Green in the offseason. It seemed like they had positioned themselves, having played without him for so long, to be ready to move to kind of the Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate uh, era, especially after they drafted T. Higgins. And it really looks like on the field they're making that migration. To me, AJ Green isn't startable if I have him. I'm hoping he has one good game and then I'm immediately trying to sell him to somebody who's desperate because I don't think his name value alone with what we've seen will get you a lot. And I, to me, he's no longer a starting consideration. I agree with you on that. I, I almost feel like even at a, even if he does have a big game, like say he has a good game this week, you're going to have to sell for probably peanuts on the dollar at this point. You're not going to likely get many ender. More than likely the person buying them is someone who's struggling a little bit with wide receiver and is kind of hoping that maybe he can produce and give him a couple weeks uh, to play. Has T. Higgins done the same thing for Chenault as you and moved into that flex option? I know we kind of talked him about him a little bit last week, but as you just mentioned, another good game this week for him as well. So I think we've really seen um, there's a group of this talented rookie. You know, we, we've talked about Jerry Judy before. He kind of suddenly became went kind of to the top of his depth chart, you know, depending on how you feel about Patrick. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but Jefferson had another good game. T. Higgins, I think, has had a couple of good games. 
Chenault Ayuk is somebody we've seen now kind yep. of picking it up, and obviously C.D. Lamb in the high volume there. It's been a really great year for being able to at least have flex-worthy um, positions for a lot of these big rookie receivers. Um, you know, this class, we were really excited about it when they got drafted, when we were drafting them in rookie drafts, and so far, you know, we're at what would be kind of the end of – of traditional preseason too, four weeks. And you're seeing these guys the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks have really started to step up to me. I feel better about Higgins even than Chenault because I think they're going to be passing and he seems to clearly have kind of taken over that, that prime role. And that's what they drafted him for. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That was what I was going to mention is that I honestly think moving forward, you can expect a lot more out of these guys because this is kind of their, the end of their preseason quote unquote with the way that unfortunately we didn't have any preseason games in the way the off season was, you know, I was, I was having a conversation with someone about that on Twitter today about Baker. If you go and look at Baker stats from week one to now, he's progressively small steps been getting better. And then another person, uh, I don't, you, you probably don't follow him, but if you guys are Browns fans, uh, Jake Burns, who does a great job breaking down all things Browns. He's a huge Browns fan, really good at breaking down film has talked about how already his stats surprisingly kind of already match what Kirk Cousins did that year that he had a really good year in the Stefanski and Kubiak system uh, where he finished, I think, as, as quarterback 13 for fantasy. And that's kind of where I've always equated Baker is saying, hey, I think this is where he could finish. I was like, and imagine the fact that when that happened, Cousins had an entire offseason and four preseason games to already learn this offense where Baker did not have that. So I expect him to continue uh, to progress moving forward. And that gets us into how about them damn Cowboys? How about them, huh? Man, was that a fun Not the team I thought you were going to uh, shout out. Oh, I say that because as uh, here in Texas, I don't know if you know this, but they always talk about that. When the Cowboys win, it's always, how about them Cowboys? Yeah, how about them? How uh, about them? How about them? Did you enjoy Stephen A. Smith's... uh... I saw some of it. Yeah, 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 because I know he trolls the Cowboys fans. No, I've actually been very polite and very nice about the Cowboys. I was not a nice person yesterday, Um, but as you know, as we talked about this, that was mostly due to the fact that I am, for those of you who don't know, live in Texas, most of my closest friends here are all massive Cowboys fans, and so... Once uh, the Browns scored, I just posted a nice little gif of Jarvis Landry and and, and Nudel Beckham Jr. And like, let's go, boys. Like, you know, nothing harmful. Just, hey, you know, it was, a, it was an awesome play, I thought. You know, incredible. Mm-hmm. They've done it before, but it was kind of cool again to see it work out. You know, if you are a fan of Odell seeing his quotes talking about how much it meant to him to catch that pass from Landry and it being his 50th touchdown catch in the, in the NFL was kind of cool to see as well. And then once the Cowboys then at that point kind of went up 14 to seven, they all jumped down my throat. And at that point I was like, you know what? Nope. Nope. I'm not going to be Mr. Nice guy today. And it ended up working out for me. It was a little scary for a while there. I'm not going to lie. Once that, uh, once it went from having that 11 point lead to like a three point lead in a matter of three NFL minutes, I was like, Oh my God, this is not going to end. Well, I'm going well, to have to worse than that. Wasn't it 41, 14. And then all of a sudden it was 38, 14. 41. Well, it was it was thirty eight. 
I think it was 38-14 going into half. But even then, I did not think it was that. Under 14 at the half, and then Hunt yeah. scored at the end to start. But I thought yeah. they said overall it was 41-14 to 14 before Dallas actually it did. It may beat. have, yes, because that Dallas put up a ton of points in the third quarter and to start the fourth yeah. quarter. The Browns did nothing. But I do think, well, I should say that the Browns won 49-38. to 38. I hadn't really mentioned that yet. Uh, part of that, I think, was the fact that Stefanski had even came out and said that we were just trying to run the ball and run the clock because we knew how good Dallas's offense was, and we were trying to limit them being on the field. The problem was, I think, Dallas knew that as well, and their defense was really kind of stalled all on the run, and Baker missed a, a couple big third-down throws in that one, one to Harrison Bryant. And the big one was, I think there was a little over three minutes left, and Odell got wide open on the sideline, and Baker just missed him. And had he hit Baker, that was going for another touchdown as well. So that one really kind of hurt, and that allowed Dallas literally gets the punt, and I think they scored in like three plays. And at that point, it was like th- I was like, oh, God, here we go. This is not good. But then, of course, they come out, and this is where I, and I've said the, to the Texas fan or the, the Cowboys fans, that horrible pooch kick, I think, cost them the game because the Browns then got the ball right at the 50-yard line, and even Stefanski said, we came out with a we know we need to score on this, and so they go to that play to Beckham, which, yes, some of that was definitely Beckham's athleticism because he could have gotten like brought down 20 yards in the backfield, but he avoids the tackle and then takes it for a touchdown. But regardless, Baker gets you 15 points, Chubb, only unfortunately the 4.3 as he suffers the MCL sprain. Hunt gets you 19, Odell 38, Jarvis Landry 15, and Austin Hooper gets his biggest uh, or has his biggest game with the Browns here with 14. I do want to say someone did call two touchdowns for Odell in 150 yards. Granted, I said 150 receiving, but whatever. It all comes out in the end. That's all that matters. The Three number is all that matters. Exactly. Three touchdowns, 152 yards altogether. Uh, But obviously the big news is Hunt going down. They're saying he's likely going to miss at least six weeks. They've already put him on the IR, so you know he's going to be gone for three. I know the optimistic side of it is they've said some players have come back in that four- to five-week range. I'm going to be honest. Being a Browns fan and seeing the way that the players stepped up, granted Dallas' defense is not anything to write home about, you don't want to rush Chubb back because you have Hunt, and you're looking at you also get that bye week in there. Well, I believe is week eight for the Browns, week eight or week nine. So he has that extended week in there for rest. I would imagine we're not seeing him till at least the week after the bye. So I, I'll look really quick, but I think that's week ten. So you're likely going to be sitting here now without him for five weeks easily, uh, or possibly six weeks. So. What does that do for Hunt for you? How much of a bump does that move him? Because we've talked about it in the offseason. I've said if Chubb gets hurt, for me, Hunt immediately moves to a top five running back for uh, fantasy value. I don't know if I'm going to go five, but I think easily in the top ten. I think depends on matchups, depends on the the field, although there's some guys that we've we've thought we're going to be top backs that are coming back. I, you know, I think it also depends on bye weeks and stuff. He's easily in that top 10 group. And I think there are weeks where you probably put him up in the top five too. Uh, definitely. He has his own injury. I, I thought part of the reason that they were using other backs yesterday was not just because they were up, but also because they were trying yeah. to save him a little bit. Yeah, that yeah, they were actually, which is what I was I'm gonna bring up another play here in a minute. So their their bye is in week nine. They play the Raiders in week eight, 
Then they have the bye in week nine, and then week 10 they play the Texans. So I would imagine the likely first game you're going to see Hunt back. I'm sorry, Chubb back is week 10 against the Texans. What I hear you saying is they have three bye weeks in a row, which I don't know how that Uh, happened. uh, The Raiders worry me a little bit. Look, I'm not going to lie. I'm – as many of you know, because I talk about it on here, I do a Browns podcast, and I talked about how the the first part of this schedule, I would be happy if they came out four and four or even three and five. If they were to finish out the first part of this schedule, and we talked about it before with how tough their first part of their schedule was. Mm-hmm. If they were to finish three and five, I still think they would have a shot to make the playoffs. I said on the podcast when I did it for the Browns Friday, if they need to steal one of these games, and that is against the Cowboys, Colts, or Steelers, because I think all three are very tough opponents. They stole one. I honestly think they have a good shot to steal another one against the Colts this weekend. Colts defense scares me. That's about it. I'm not that scared of their offense, even as bad as the Browns defense has looked at times. So, and then they get the Bengals and the Raiders going into the bye week. So the Bengals scare me though too with with Joe Burrow. I'm not going to pretend like that's an easy an easy game that they should win. And the Raiders are playing good ball as well. So none of these games I think are, are games that the Browns should go win and be like we're going to win this for sure. But after that game yesterday, I feel a lot better about the way the Brown season is heading. And, and I'll say I think a lot of it is coaching, too. I, while all these players are playing good, if you really sit down and think about it, it's the same team. It's literally the same team we had last year. It's outside of Hooper and Wills on the offense. And we lost players on defense. We haven't really brought in that many good players on defense. We actually lost our, our star linebacker and Schobert injuries. This coaching staff has done phenomenal things for this team that you can clearly see the difference. I think also I may have helped them yesterday because when I got home from, from work, it was 14, seven to Dallas. And that that was the game on Fox. And I thought that was better uh, than the chargers bucks, which was my other option. So I was watching because of all my Dallas interest in passing game, not because I care about the Cowboys. And, you know, when it got to be 41 to 14, I saw how, close Tampa Bay uh, and the Chargers were going and I saw how much shade you were throwing to Brady. So I flipped over to that one. I was like, (laughs) well, I'm going to watch a game that looks like it's competitive. And when the bottom line flashed and said it was 41 to 38, I went back to the Dallas game in time to see that Beckham score. So it's like the Browns needed me to be watching to do well. We appreciate it because, yeah, it was uh, that fourth quarter, man. I'm not going to lie. If you can see the text message threads going on, and then the group me does not allow you to send recorded messages. So the recorded message that I sent that would not pass FD, uh, FDA standards or whatever it is, FDC, whatever it is, uh, F- I would I – mean, FCC. I, I, FCC. Granted, we cuss on here a lot, but I promise you there was a lot of F-bombs being dropped as Odell was returning that and I was recording myself and I sent that to a good 15, 20 people because they were just talking all kinds of shit about how the Cowboys were going to come back and win. Uh, But it was, you know, again, the Cowboys offense looks... If you can, if you have parts of the Cowboys offense, you're thrilled right now because I think this is going to be them moving forward every single week with as bad as yeah. that defense looks. Dak also, the Giants next week. So, oh yeah, yeah. Well, the Giants defense has been better than people realize if you actually no. go and look at it. The, Ra- it the, Rams, the Rams suffered narcolepsy. Did you oh, see I, what I, Nick Mullen did? To them versus what he looked like last night. No, but if if you actually go and look at the stats, like their defense actually is 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 not a it's not top ten, but it's like in the top thirteen for his passing. Like it's actually not a bad defense. I'm not okay. saying that the Cowboys are going to struggle, 
They got but they're deep. The Rams half asleep, and they got Trubisky in there. They also got oh, Ben good. shaking off two years worth of rust and Nick Mullins. Well, that may be true. That may be true. We'll we'll see. Dallas and, oh, and the Giants always play each other tough. So, no, no, I'm saying like I get, I understand. I'm saying Dallas and the Giants they always play each other. It's one of those. This, you know, Denver and Kansas City. You expect Kansas City's offense because they're so good to go in there, beat them, and Denver always plays them tough. It's one of those things that you can't you can't count the Giants out. I'm not saying the Giants are going to win, but I don't think Dak's thrown for 500 yards like he did against the Browns either. That was, I mean, my God. He gets you 37 points. Zeke, 20. Cooper comes in with 33. Lamb, 25. Gallup, just four. And Dalton Schultz, 17. With Dallas having this offense and absolutely no defense whatsoever, are you worried or how worried are you about Gallup? Dallas is fifth in scoring right now with wide receivers, and it seems like he's just not part of the game plan. He only one starter or only one start of a week, which is in week four. Are you worried about Gallup now moving forward? Yeah, I mean, he was actually the fifth highest scoring wide receiver on Dallas's team. Both Noah Brown and yeah. Cedric Wilson outscored him yesterday, and obviously they're putting up a ton of yards. It just, you know, I was excited in week three when he kind of went off, caught a big one, and, and seemed to explode. I thought, well, maybe they're finally getting Gallup going. But in this game, they couldn't have thrown the ball around more than they did. The guy went for 500 yards. Cooper was getting fed. Lamb was getting fed. They went to Schultz. Then they were going to other receivers. Um, you know, fortunately, Ezekiel Elliott seems to be catching a lot of passes because they're not having a lot of time for running the ball. But, you know, he caught eight passes for 71. That's 15 PPR points right there. Kind of salvages uh, salvages your day with the lower amount of running. That's why I was laughing. The Fox commentator was like, Ezekiel Elliott's been a non-factor in this game. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Dude caught eight passes yeah. for 71 yards. He ran for 54, sure, but that's not – I mean, this is some old-school Moose Johnson approach to uh, football. If it's not Emmett Smith riding his ass up the, up the hole, it didn't happen. Yeah. So, But Gallup, I just – you know, he still seems to be talented when they've been able to connect. It's been good. The first week I was willing to, to ride it off a little bit um, – yeah, snaps only matter apparently if you actually get a target. Uh, but I was willing to write off kind of the first week because they tried to go to him on a couple plays and there was a penalty and there was some miss. But I, you know, watching them for a long time uh, yesterday, it just doesn't seem like he's a focal point for Dak. Yeah, and so what I'll say on on Gallup is, and I kind of think this goes back to, I think me and you talked about it on a Monday breakdown show. I don't know if it was a Friday one with Dennis, but with the way that they're playing them is Gallup is getting the best matchup every single week, as in playing the better defender, because they're moving Amari and Lamb in and out of the slot. So Gallup is getting the tougher matchup, which likely leads to with, I mean, Amari Cooper, as much crap as I give him about having brick hands, he's one of the best route runners in the game. When you're throwing him in the slot and sometimes going up against the second or third best corner on these teams, he's going to win those matchups. So Dak's going to go to Amari. He's not going to go to Gallup because Amari's getting open. Same thing with Lamb. Lamb is a phenomenal player. And when he's going up against teams, second or third cornerbacks, 
that's where the ball is going to go. So I think that's what's hurting Gallup more than anything. I think it's all, and it's fair to say, and it kind of hurts me to be a little pro Amari here. It's probably why Amari struggled so much last year because he was the one going up against those tough matchups every single week, and he was playing those top guys. He wasn't winning them, and I think that's what we're seeing out of Gallup this year. It's not that Gallup isn't talented. It's that he's going up against some of the best cornerbacks in the league, and he's struggling to get open. Man, when he, by the time he does get open, Amari and CeeDee Lamb have already been open, and they've already gotten the ball. So I am worried about Gallup. I think at this point you're likely not going to be able to sell him for anything, almost like the A.J. Green no. thing. I think you're going to have to hope he has a good game, probably two, before you're going to be able to sell him for anything. But his contract is almost up with the Cowboys. He's not someone in Dynasty League I would move because I do think he would have value if he goes to another team. But unfortunately at this point, it's one of those things there's not much you can do with them. Yeah, and that – I mean, I guess that's to me where it's kind of a bummer because he's a guy you like in a high-volume offense who's actually available, you know, to play uh, as opposed to, you know, I was writing in my Monday column today about our auction league, uh, our Debbie auction league, where I spent 70% of my budget on Thomas Godwin, Adams, and Cortland Sutton, who are no longer available. Gallup, you know, you got him. You thought it was going to be a good deal. He was a great draft deal, it seemed like, in the rounds that he was going. And he's there, and he's available, and he's a guy you saw thrive last year. And it's just – it's such a bummer. That one, to me, is more almost more of a bummer than A.J. Green, where there was plenty of questions about what he was going to be like coming back and whether his team was ready to phase him out. Yeah. I agree with you 100% there. Next up, Saints and Lions. The Saints win this one 35-29. Drew Brees, 15 points. Kamara, 20. Latavius Murray, 21. Emmanuel Sanders, 15. And Traquan Smith, 21. Better-looking Saints offense this week. Do Sanders and Smith stay startable once Thomas returns? Yeah, I think that's a big question for me. It was nice to see Traquan get a couple of touchdowns. Emmanuel Sanders, you know, 6 for 90. Uh, 93, I think, was his total there. That was pretty good. I thought, you know, I've watched the Saints quite a bit um, because they've been in a lot of the national games. I thought the Saints looked a little bit more like the offense we're used to seeing from the last few years um, yesterday, which was encouraging to me. They showed numbers that Drew Brees went down the field 10 yards or more, um, like 37% of the time yesterday prior to that. In games, he had done it about 7% of the time, so it looks like he's getting more vertical, maybe feeling more comfortable. They got that running game going good. So I would think when Thomas comes back, that's only going to help. The question has always been with those ancillary Saints receivers, if Michael Thomas gets the kind of target and volume share and Kamara's there and gets the, the target and volume share, is there enough to go around? I think we saw Emmanuel Sanders get a lot of targets the first week with Thomas, but we don't really still have a sense of what it's going to be like with Sanders and Thomas playing on the same field in the same game because of where Thomas got injured and because of how they were kind of rusty opening up. Um, So I'm kind of excited to see them play opposite each other. Yeah, I'll be interested. I almost don't think both of them can be, but one of them. The question, I guess, for me is going to be who. I I would probably lean Sanders over Traquan once once Thomas comes back, but it's so hard to guess. As to answer your question there. um, Tomorrow, right? You said you're going to do the drawing tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. I will be doing it tomorrow. Uh, Probably record a video of 
me doing like an odds thing. I do a, an odds thing for one of my leagues thing. Just put everybody who's subscribed on there and, and the winner that will will announce it tomorrow. So I I don't know when, maybe beginning, end of the episode. But yeah, we will definitely do that tomorrow. Um, let's see here. Who are we on? Now, Detroit. So Detroit comes in. Stafford, 22 points. AP, 9. Swift, 15. Galladay, 16. And Hawkinson, 10. Big play for Swift. Should we be worried about Hawkinson? Touchdown sort of bails his day out. Yeah, two catches for nine yards. Was not looking good. There was a while there where Jesse James had reception uh, and Hawkinson didn't, which is disappointing. You know, he's a guy... I think has top 10 potential, but outside of that first week, um, he hasn't exactly produced big numbers, even when they haven't had receivers, even though they're seemingly putting up some points and moving the ball. So I'm a little uh, concerned about Hawkinson going forward. This wouldn't be the first time the Lions have taken a, uh, a high value tight end and not really known how to exactly get them going in the offense. Yeah. Uh... I mean, I don't want to say I'm worried about Hawkinson. I was not as big on him as others. I mean, I was all in on on Fant to begin with. He was he was always my tight end one. I know, I know, it sucks, but uh, I just think that whole offense is kind. Of, that whole team. I hate to say this because I don't root for anybody to get fired. I think Matricia's just got to go at this point. They've got to bring in. A whole new coaching staff. I mean, we, we saw it yesterday. Swift looked good in plays, yet they're still starting Peterson. And nothing against Peterson either. Peterson still looks good for his age. I just – I think Swift is the better back. I think I, the only person I trust in that offense right now is Galladay. Stafford, obviously, in super flex as well. But outside of those, I, I'm probably not starting anybody. I just don't – I just can't trust that offense. And it's a sad thing to say because I do think Hawkinson has a ton of talent uh, as well. Uh, Seattle, Miami, man, was I wrong on this game? I thought this was going to be more of a shootout. It was a crappy game for a while. I, I was, I had my, uh, what I tend to do when games are on, especially when the, the Browns are on, I always have the Browns up on my big TV and then I'll, I'll throw up. I've got, I pay for NFL Sunday ticket in a red zone. So like I'll throw up on my laptop, you can split it and have four to six games on your laptop. So I'll throw red zone up on the top channel. I'll pick the most interesting games to kind of fill up the rest of my screen. And I had Seattle on there for a while. It was so bad. I took it off. I was like, yeah, nope. I'm going to put something else up here. And then it, it turned out to be an okay game. Uh, but as I mentioned, they won 31, 23 Wilson, 20 points, Carson, 25 DK Metcalf, 14 Tyler Lockett, five and, what is uh what what's his first David name? Moore. Moore I forgot David Moore, David Moore. I wanted to call I, all I, as soon as I see Moore I was thinking DJ Moore for some reason I knew that was not correct uh, David Moore, Moore comes Moore, with eighteen gotten that much volume <laughs> yeah uh, so for the most part a quiet day for Metcalf and Lockett is more fantasy relevant moving forward he also had a big game a couple weeks ago as well so is this something you see this becoming kind of a a three headed monster with them allowing Russ to cook more. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been interesting because it seemed like they were bringing in a bunch of different high-profile additional receivers uh, to possibly play that three-receiver. And I think they re-signed Josh Gordon, right? They but did. We haven't he's heard yet anything to, about it. I don't it even think he's dressed yet, to be honest with you. Because the, the NFL cleared him, right? Uh, no, I actually don't think he's, he's passed his uh, – uh, uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking That's for? That's where he just uh, kind of disappeared. 
uh, I remembered that he applied for reinstatement and reinstatement, Seattle announced that they had re-added him, but I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't think he's been reinstated yet. Cause I want to say a couple weeks ago, I remember seeing something from Seattle or Gordon talking about, he was waiting to be reinstated from the commissioner. So I don't think he's been reinstated yet. Anyway, it seemed like they brought in all these kind of different to, to try it out, to give themselves another third receiver, but more had moments where I thought he looked good last year. And he's looked uh, pretty solid in there uh, when they've given him opportunities and they are looking and throwing to him. And as more teams are rolling coverages out to stop Metcalf and to stop Lockett, he seems to be benefiting and making the most of the touchdown grab he had was pretty impressive. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. So I don't know, you know, as we're getting into bye weeks, this bye week, uh, week five is only Detroit and Green Bay. And since you functionally haven't had Devontae Adams in about a month, I don't know that that changes a lot for you in terms of those teams. But as we get further, when you have four to six teams on a bye and we start, if we have a few more of these kind of COVID situations pop up, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, I think guys like that that are in uh, what appears to continue to be a high volume passing offense have deep league flex appeal. Yeah. Yeah, he's a guy that, and I mean, we'll obviously talk more about it tomorrow with our waiver wire stuff. He's a guy I'd be interested in grabbing. I don't know if I'm willing to start him just yet. I'd like to see it a little bit more because that's the other thing. We've seen this out of more in the past, as you mentioned, last year. And even the year before that, he has those couple good games. You're like, okay, is he getting that value back? And then he just disappears. I think the biggest difference Mm -hmm. this year compared to the past is they're actually throwing the ball more in Seattle. So I think he does have a better chance of retaining that value where in the past it was always kind of the Chris Carson, Marshawn Lynch, um, Rashad Penny show, and Russ wasn't throwing it as much as he has been this year. On Miami side, Fitzpatrick comes in with 21 points, Miles Gaskin 9, Devontae Parker 21, Preston Williams 4, and fucking Mike Gusecki just 2 points. Uh, are we fading the Miami offense outside of maybe Parker, who yeah. I guess the fifth-year breakout was real last year because he's been yeah. doing it again this year? Yeah, I mean, that's really tough. You know, we wrote you know, Jordan Howard just seems to come on and score a touchdown to screw everyone. We wrote Matt Breed off, and he actually was leading them in carries and running back receptions for a while. He didn't finish with as many points as Gaskin, but to me that – that just tells you that Gaskin's ceiling is probably severely limited because he's going to get vultured. I mean, the rushing touchdown they had yesterday was freaking Ryan Fitzpatrick. Apparently he's been watching Josh Allen tape and saying, hold my beer. And their passing game is not what it was at the end of last year. Fitzpatrick and that offense was really fun kind of to watch at the end of last year. Parker's still holding reasonable value, you know, I would still say I feel more comfortable with him as a low-end wide receiver two or a high-end wide receiver three as what you're playing for. And then, you know, maybe he'll catch 10 passes for 110. Preston Williams and now Mike Gusecki have been real bummers. Gusecki has only caught one pass each of the last two weeks. You know, he lucked out in week three. That one pass was a 15-yard touchdown. But, you know, yesterday I think it was like one for 12. Yeah. I mean, it was a nice yeah, catch too. It's right on the sideline. No, it's yeah, not. That's, that's the worst part about it. Is is he's he's like in Dawson Knox volume land. Yeah, and, but he's such a talented tight end, and it's just that offense is just not good. I, I'll be interested to see 
I so I own Gasecki in a redraft. I'm not dropping him just yet because some of the quotes that Brian Flores gave today, I think we are very close to seeing Tua. And so I'd be interested to see what Gasecki might be able to do with Tua. But I feel like clearly this year, him and Fitzpatrick don't have the chemistry they had last year. Where toward the end of last year, Gasecki was really coming on, was looking good. It just doesn't, he doesn't seem to be getting targeted the way he was at the end of last year. Now, maybe some of that is having Preston Williams back. I don't know. Maybe both those two are kind of killing each other's value. I guess Preston's not, doesn't seem to be getting that many targets either yeah and, and getting very much i mean he was the fourth highest scoring receiver isaiah ford got more and i can't even remember who the other receiver it just but none of the you know the numbers weren't incredible miami no. has not been getting blown out but they're they're not quite as much fun to watch as they used to be yeah, well, you know, and I would say some of that is probably their defense is a little bit better, so they're not in as many shootouts as, as we they kind of were last year. It was one of those things where every time Miami got the ball, they probably felt like they had to score if they wanted to stay in the games because they were clearly trying. The players and, and Coach, Coach Flores wanted to win. The front office didn't want them to win, even though they ended up getting their guys. So, yeah, I know he came out today and said that presumably Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starter in week five. So I'll be curious to see how much longer that presumably stands well, there before we do it to him. Don't you think what we've seen from Herbert and what we've seen from Burrow and how good they've looked has put infinitely more pressure? I mean, I think we all thought, you know, it would be a little bit into the season before you got to see Herbert and, you know, the Chargers wow. medical incompetence push that up. Well, even you thought it'd be five or six weeks into the season. Well, I said it. I said by there. week four he'd be by week four he'd be the starter because right. I did not think Tyrod was going to win any games. So yeah, I wasn't expecting him to come out week two. No, I was not. But I mean, they've also looked really good, and which is yeah. I've noticed when you get to highlight shows, they're talking about. Well, two of them look really good. I guess we'll have to wait to see if the other one's worth his draft. But you know, and so. I'm sure that plays into it a little bit, uh, feeling a little more pressure of, well, to hell with it. We got to we gotta do something. We got to spark the fan base. We got to do. Yeah. I mean, I'll be interested to see if they do it. You know, I, I know the old, um, I can't remember who said it. I think it was Bill Parcells. If you end up listening to the fans, you're going to end up sitting with them or something like that yeah. was his quote. Like, the Dolphins have been, or the front office has been very forward about the fact that they wanted this to be a redshirt year for Tua, that they knew they weren't going to win this year. So maybe they just let it ride with Fitzpatrick all season. I mean, I'm excited. I, I do want to see Tua out there as a fan because I, I was, I mean, I had him third in this class. I know, I don't know if Dennis is still watching. He he had Tua as his one. You know, for me, I had Burrow and Herbert higher. I mean, I don't think I'm going to see enough out of Tua. I could be wrong to to put him over either one of those two right now. I mean, both of those guys have been phenomenal. So, but I, I do want to see him out there. He he's a very talented kid. I, I would love to see him out there. Left-handed quarterback slinging it to some of those weapons would be a lot of fun to watch. Speaking of Herbert, he was slinging it yesterday against that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Ended up coming up a little bit short, though, losing 38-31. to 31. He gets you 23 points. Eckler is just two points as he gets injured as well. Josh Kelly, four points. Keenan Allen, 14. Guyton, 14 points. And Hunter Henry, five. Herbert just continues to look good. I think if, if you stole him in the third or fourth round of your rookie drafts, you have got to be thrilled with what you've seen out of him. 
Uh, Eckler did get hurt. Uh, they're seeing a grade two hamstring strain. I believe you're looking at, I don't think this was by any reported doctor, but some of the doctors that I, I trust when it comes to injury stuff, when they talk about it, we're saying you're likely looking almost kind of like Chubb six to eight weeks. If you're yeah. lucky in getting him back. So Eckler's going to be out for a long time too. It's good news for your boy, Justin Jackson. Do you think it's going to be split backfield? I mean, I don't think Kelly helped himself any yesterday with that fumble, was, but Kelly is yeah, the bigger touched. back. So what are your thoughts on those two? It was certainly split last, yesterday uh, in terms of carries. Now, first I will say, I saw some people talk about how Josh Kelly's shit the bed and we should drop him. He's, he's no good. He's looked good before. Tampa Bay has a yeah. pretty phenomenal rushing defense and they have a pretty phenomenal passing defense so you know i think they're gonna split i uh, will have to see how well it works um you know for right now i would probably favor kelly if you had to start one um you know let's see justin jackson you know I, i've liked justin jackson yeah i just i we need to see him actually do something on the field more than then show the idea they've shown they like Kelly. They've shown that they're, they're going to give him the ball. Every rookie goes through a little bit of growing pains. Um, so we'll just kind of have to see a little bit how it plays out. They haven't had the easiest schedule uh, either, but um, I think you will, you will probably appreciate this. In one of my two QB dynasty leagues, I got an offer for a 2021 20, first for Herbert. Yeah. And I declined that, and I countered with Brady for a 2021 first and got that and sent Brady for a first and started Justin, Justin Herbert alongside Baker yesterday. Yeah, hey, I, like I said, I, I've been uh, – I love Herbert, man. I, I I hate to say this. I know they're not, he doesn't listen, so it doesn't matter. Like, I've been trying to trade for Herbert in the league, and I don't need him. I have Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield in this dynasty league, but it's just, I want him. Like, he's he's one of my guys. I own him. What's interesting, so we were talking off air. I'm in a, a Debbie – a Devi league where Herbert is sitting on my taxi squad and it's going to sound bad. I completely forgot he was there. And so I haven't <laughs> been starting him. But the funny thing about that was is in the off season, just to show you guys how much I believed in Herbert. Now hindsight 2020, this is going to look like a great trade for me, but you also have to remember the year that this guy had last year. I traded Carson Wentz for him straight up before Herbert had ever even played a snap. Coming off the year that Wentz had, because that's how much I believed in Herbert being a stud in the NFL. And I was like, I did get another pick out of it as well, a Debbie pick. I think it was like a second-round Debbie pick. But I was like, I want Herbert to pair with Josh Allen because I think Herbert's that damn good. And so for me, I, I've been all in on the Herbert train. You're uh, I'm super – I'm extremely excited that that kid's been playing as well as he has because there was not a quarterback in this – he was the Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen of this class. Everybody talking about he had no shot to do anything, and just like Allen and Lamar – now, I'm not trying to put him on Allen or Lamar's level by saying this, but he's come out and showed everybody wrong. Uh, I am with you on Kelly. I think – the biggest thing was going to help Kelly compared to Justin Jackson is I think they're going to use Kelly more uh, in the goal line situations, which which I think kind of caps Jackson's upside a little bit because I think when they get down into the red zone, it's going to be more Kelly because he's that bigger bruising back, so he's got the better chance at touchdowns. But I think Jackson is going to be good. I mean, I was all in on him a couple years ago with you. We, you know, We talked about him being our fantasy MVP because of him going 
in like the 16th, 17th round. And then Austin Eckler just had a season of seasons and ended up getting extended and everything. So I, I do want to mention, because I completely forgot about this on the Brown side, um, go pick up Dearness Johnson. I do think that that kid is going to, if you go and look at some he of the runs good. that he had, he was phenomenal. And I do think that, I understand that Kareem Hunt's phenomenal, guys, but if you go back and look at the snaps, Chubb and Hunt were splitting it almost 50-50 when it came down toward the end of the game. I do think Hunt's going to get the early run, but as the games progress, they're going to start mixing in a guy like Dearness Johnson. I do think he's going to have sneaky, low-end RB2 upside every single week. So if you lost Chubb and you don't have Hunt, there's not much available on the waiver wire. Dearness Johnson is a guy that I would seriously look at. I, I put in a lot of waiver requests requests today from that's honestly how I figured out Justin Herbert was sitting on that taxi squad. Cause like, who can I drop to pick up Dearness Johnson? Cause I just lost Nick Chubb. And that's when I noticed it. So yeah, Dearness Johnson is a guy that I, I would seriously try and grab. Speaking of going back to that game, I, I forgot that you and I were playing each other in the uh, listener Debbie league. Where oh, I started Dak and you had Mayfield and Chuck. Well, I guess you whooped my ass then. I haven't even looked at it to see. Uh, uh, let's see. I am up uh, right now, and I had Adams in my lineup. I had to scrap him, but I have Russell Gage. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I assume I have nobody going tonight. No. I have, honestly haven't even looked at it yet. Okay. So, yeah. I, I hate to say this, but sleeper is, is the back burner for me. I, I honestly forgot to set all my sleeper lineups until Sunday morning, one of which uh, Philip Lindsay was still in. So, that was fun for me. All right. <laughs> Ravens and Washington. Yeah. 31 7. It actually might have been that, that league. It asked, might have been. I'm, I was going you, through and I was like, I. I thought Philip Lindsay had a chance to play, so I moved him into a couple of spots, and then I went back in Sunday. And I was like, "Ah, oh, shit! Well, he's sitting in my RB two spot. Oh well, is what it is." Let me look. Oh, you did have OBJ in that league, but you played a uh, Arcega Whiteside and Zach Moss. No, yeah, it's probably because I haven't changed the set the lineup at all. Like I'm, I'm really bad about checking sleeper. I just, uh, I, I'm not a not a fan of it. Lamar Jackson, 25 points. Mark Ingram, 10. Uh, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, 12. And Mark Andrews, 20. Uh, Ravens, obviously a really good team, but they've just been very inconsistent for fantasy. Even Lamar has really not produced the way we expected him to produce, at least what he did last year. Is there... I kind of feel like you have to start Lamar unless maybe you got a Herbert or a a Burrow, maybe late to back him up in redrafts or, or dynasty. Uh, but who are you? Who do you even feel comfortable starting every week from Baltimore? Lamar and Mark Andrews, and that's it. And I know Andrews has has himself had a you know one catch for twenty nine yard game, but at that position uh, and his talent and his connection, I mean, you've seen you saw yesterday he only had three targets, caught two of them for fifty seven yards and two touchdowns. That's the kind of upside he brings, which is why you got to put him in there. And Jackson has that kind of upside because he's actually been there. I think he's the leading rusher on the team. Yeah. Oh, Um, yeah. I mean, he broke off like that 60, 70 yarder yesterday. Like it was. I I like Ingram. Maybe Gus Edwards will get to go to a team where he actually gets to play. J.K. Dobbins has talent. They have a great running game. None of those guys is really playable unless you're desperate to me right now i mean they're getting like eight or nine touches a piece per game and you know in that eight or nine touches we've seen 
you know, Dobbins get a couple goal line touchdowns. We've seen Ingram be able to break a 30 yarder for a touchdown. So it's possible, but that's, you know, you're looking for volume and reliability and floor. And I don't know that those guys have steady floor. They have incredible ceiling potential, but to me right now they have no floor. Yeah. Speaking of Mark Ingram, poor one out for my Scott fishbowl team. Oh shit. I thought I drank all my water. Um, all over my leg. I really thought I drank all of it. Uh, because, yeah, I was really hoping for a lot out of Mark Ingram. I'm about to go to 0-4 in Scott Fishbowl. Probably going to be one and done there in, in that. It's not, not looking pretty for me whatsoever. It looks like I might actually have gotten my first Scott Fishbowl win thanks to one George Kittle. Oh, hey. Congratulations. Yeah, even with the with me having George Kittle, and I'm still going to lie. I actually haven't looked... Maybe I did win because I wasn't down that much, and I know one, uh, one tight end Scott Fishbowl, and he put up like fifty points, didn't he? Yeah, in Scott Fishbowl, he put up fifty six point six in that scoring. I'll look I'll in look. a minute as we get to Washington. Yeah, I know, I know, he put up fifty something because in one of our my other leagues, we use Scott Fishbowl scoring, and I looked and I was yeah. playing George Kittle. So I'm up by one hundred and three in there, and this guy has Aaron Jones, Russell Gage, and Calvin Ridley. I don't know why, but I still don't feel confident. No, neither would he I. Up, well, he put up fifty one point one. Sorry, I was wrong. Fifty one point one in that scoring. So the the funny thing of you saying that is. In a league just like that, um, we use the same scoring. And so I'm going up against someone last night where we were very close, and then he had George Kittle. So he went up like 50-plus points on me. But I have Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Calvin Ridley playing. So I was like, you know what? I feel pretty good about my chances of coming back and winning this one. But Or at least that you have a chance. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when you're down 50 and you're like, I've got James White tonight. You never know. Could be his career year, career game right here. He's gonna have a career yeah, year would, in one game. Be career year. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Haskins comes in with 18 points. Antonio Gibson 22. Terry McLaurin 21. And Logan Thomas 1.8. Haskins did look a little bit better in this game. Hopefully, this saves off his benching. As we were all kind of found out, I guess late. Uh, it was either Saturday or Sunday that Ron Rivera met with him and said, "If you don't play better, you're getting benched for Kyle Allen." Gibson looks really good. Uh, what are we doing though with Logan Thomas? He's really only had one good game. Everybody kind of went out on the waiver wire, spent a bunch of money to get him, and he's kind of been a bust since. Um, so I'm going to answer two questions. First, Logan Thomas, tight end is not a great position, and it looked like that was going to be a, a good option, but it, it just isn't right now. He's almost, I mean, he's probably in that Ian Thomas range where there's a there's a potential that he could have a play, but not that. Let's uh, go. What happened? I just checked my Scott Fishbowl scoring. Oh, I'm down three points, and I got MVS going tonight. Dennis, I need you to will it into existence for me, baby. I need it. Well, Playing he, the number one team in my league. He's, he's got nobody. Last, he's kind of the last man standing. Yeah, um, I know, but, but it's, go ahead. I'll, I'll finish my point in a minute. Go ahead. The the other thing for me about that is, even if you're going to bench Haskins, I'm a little surprised Alex Smith wasn't the consideration. It's been such a phenomenal story. We've seen him do well. I don't know if he just doesn't think he's got the conditioning or familiarity with the offense or whatever, but that to me was a little – it's not only – yeah, we might bench you because uh, we got Kyle Allen. And, you know, God bless Kyle Allen. He is a 
great backup. If Denver had him as a backup, I'd be happy about that. He had a couple of good games last year. He, you know, that's the end of Dwayne Haskins in Washington if he gets benched for Kyle Allen, in my opinion. Yeah. I agree. Uh, what I was going to say about MVS is that would be perfect fantasy karma for as much crap as I've talked about is for him to go out there and give me 2.7 <laughs> points and me lose by like 0.3 points. So that, that's that's why I, I need this to happen for me. I, I mean, that's what to stay up now. We'll get to Monday night at the end. Of, that's what makes the Monday night game incredibly depressing. That is the greatest matchup right now. If you're not playing Dallas, the greatest matchup, if you have passing game assets going, is to play the Atlanta Falcons. And the Green Bay Packers literally have no game. receivers. Yeah, and what's going to happen is going to it's going to. I can tell you right now, I can already feel it coming. It's going to be an Aaron Jones game. They're going to run the ball like thirty-five times with him and Jamal Williams and Marquez Valdez Scantling is going to get two catches for twenty yards, and I'm going to be fucked. That's exactly I actually what's had to happen. start. I actually had to start Darius Shepard in the league because of Adams. Because Adams, hey, Adams, Adams may not be a bad call. It's a shocking, yeah. most shocking move because he well practiced he all week. The team, though. It seemed like he was yeah. tracking to play, and so, his, his tweet certainly seemed to be throwing shade at his yeah. Medical staff. I think the reason they're doing it, and I hate to put it this way, because I don't want to say an NFL team is doing this, but I kind of feel like it's one of those things where the Packers have been playing so good that they kind of look at this as maybe a game that they feel like they can probably win. They go into their bye week next week, so then you're going to get you're likely getting Adams back a hundred percent healthy, which is what you yeah. want. So I kind of feel like that's why they're doing it. Clearly, well, he wants to be out there to play. Yeah, especially after they yeah lost Lazard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I, I do think that's part of their reasoning behind it. It sucks for us, and obviously sucks for him. He clearly wanted to be out there playing with the tweet he put out there. I, I believe he went out and deleted it after the fact. So someone probably no, reached he, out to him like, yeah. That's oh, you probably should. It's probably the GM. Like, do you want to? Be yeah, honest? yeah, exactly. So, that and he probably his agent was right before that saying, "Oh, yeah. you got to clear these things with me." Yeah, but um, on to uh, for Washington. Before we move on, real quick, I do want to say, man, you got to keep you got to start Terry McLaurin every single week. I swear that dude. Yeah. Every time we doubt him when it comes to a matchup, he still puts up points. Just stop. You know, we were talking about it with a couple people in the chat the other day on Sundays when they were asking start sick questions. And even I, as big a Terry McLaurin fan as I am, was like, man, that's a tough matchup. And then he still goes out and puts out 21 points. So at this point, you start yeah. him every single week. Unless you got DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams ahead of him, you're starting McLaurin every single well, and week. Well, if you have Devontae Adams, I hope you started well, McLaurin. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, that's the bad thing. I think we, I know I told somebody, I'm glad they didn't listen because I, I remember them putting into the, the uh the chat there that uh it's uh they ended up sitting him anyways but I'm pretty sure I told them to start Devontae Adams and then of course that happens. Uh, That's Arizona. right because of uh, because of you I started Devontae Parker over CD Lamb in one league and I was like for a while there I was like oh, that Delanate's going to be a shootout but then fortunately Parker yeah. Parker it, comes, it came through yeah, yeah. it came through that's all about it. it happened in the end not quite the shootout I expected but it came through uh Carolina wins 31 to 21 what is going on with Arizona man Kyler Murray 23 points Kenyon Drake three uh Chase Edmonds 15 DeAndre Hopkins 11 and Christian Kirk 10 points quiet day for Arizona are we giving up on Drake we know that he got an injury I have not seen a timetable yet on how long he could be out yeah, but, uh, you know, the big thing 
we've said for a couple of weeks is, you know, he's got to get going. There was projection that he was going to be kind of a top 10 back. He's not getting seemingly any piece of the receiving game. Uh, he literally had a, a 0% target share yesterday. I know he got, uh, I guess he got injured, um, but, you know, you don't get much more of a plum rushing matchup, it seems, this year than Carolina. That's uh, been a great team to say fire up your running backs. And to only come through with 3.5 points, I think now Drake has moved to a place where you probably have to hope you have a better option, put him to the bench, and he's going to have to show you something because he hasn't even really put up flexible uh, numbers. You know, Edmund seems to be more likely to get receptions and, and touchdowns. So it's it's unfortunate. It's weird to me because they franchise tagged him, and it's like after they franchise tagged him, now they're they're almost giving him the Le'Veon Bell in the Jets treatment. Like we we've got this guy; he's a great talent. We're not going to use him. Yeah, I mean, I think Edmonds has got to be right up there too with one of the high running back waiver wire ads to add as well. I mean, we've kind of talked about him for a couple of weeks. He's had a couple good games. Uh, again, you know, I'll keep saying I think the biggest thing that kills their fantasy value is is the way Kyler Murray runs with the ball, and not not a bad thing because Kyler Murray is very dynamic. But I think when he just takes off the way that he does, instead of checking it down to one of those running backs, it's going to hurt their value. But Chase Edmonds, definitely, we'll talk more about it tomorrow. If he's available in your league as someone I would I would definitely target as a waiver wire pickup, especially if you lost a guy like Nick Chip. Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater, 26 points. Uh, Mike Davis, 22. Reggie Bonifon, 15. Robbie Anderson, 17. DJ Moore, 8. And Ian Thomas, 8. Is Carolina's offense better without them feeding the ball to Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, it certainly seems that way from the last couple of weeks. They're getting more people involved. They seem to be moving the ball better, and they've won both of their games. It's it's almost impossible to think. I'm hopeful that what it is with a new system and some of these new pieces and new people learning how to play together that maybe this time without having a premier option like McCaffrey that you can fall back on or feel like you need to get involved. They've kind of figured some things out and gotten into a groove that when McCaffrey comes back, it'll benefit them all. But, uh, you know, it's certainly been weird because they McCaffrey was putting up studly numbers week one and two, but they weren't really doing a lot. And they rallied a little bit after he got injured in week two. You know, Davis came on and and carried it. And then the last two weeks, they've looked like a better, smoother offense. And part of it could be coincidence, too, since we're kind of, you know, now they've had four weeks playing together. But it looks like they've kind of dropped the idea of needing to focus on a couple of the stars from from before. And I think that's hurt more a little bit. He's still involved, but they – it almost seems like Robbie Anderson's become the top target and they're using their backs and getting it involved. And they, they looked pretty good yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say it probably, I mean, when you have a, a weapon like Christian McCaffrey, but I, I, you know, they feed the ball to him so much. I do think it, it hurts the upside of some of these other guys. What I would almost be interested to see is with the way Mike Davis has played, has he moved himself into getting more of a share once Christian McCaffrey comes back? Like I almost kind of feel like if you own Mike Davis right now, 
I wouldn't drop him because he could still get a fairly good share of work now with the, with how good he has looked as well. But for me, sure. go ahead. The other thing I was going to say is McCaffrey's injury window is four to six weeks. If you look at yeah. how well you're playing and the production you're getting, do you say, well, we'll just wait till you're 100% healthy, and then now it's six weeks, whereas if you looked bad and you were really struggling, you know, are you pushing him to get kind of – we saw that with the Giants last year. They didn't get any real – consistent production behind Saquon from those people. So it felt like he was pressing to get out there a little bit earlier with that ankle injury to try to work back in and never looked right. Carolina might be looking at saying, Hey, you know, we've been okay. We've actually looked good. We've moved the ball. We want you to get a hundred percent healthy. Uh, but I, I do think Anderson is, is the guy now. And it sucks to say because I think Moore is infinitely more talented. But for whatever reason, Robbie Anderson just fits better in that offense right now. They're taking shots to him. I think if you got Anderson, he's a worthy flex starter every single week. At this point, I think DJ Moore's got to go to your bench until they, they figure out a way to integrate him into this offense. You know, don't get rid of him in a dynasty league because when they get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields next year, he's going to be phenomenal. I promise you that, but yeah. Minnesota and Houston. Uh, Minnesota wins this one 31-23, effectively ending Bill O'Brien's career in Houston. Uh, you're welcome. I've been saying that for about a year and a half that this was coming. Kirk Cousins, 14 points. Dalvin, 28. Adam Thielen, 26. And Justin Jefferson, 14. Looks phenomenal again. We talked about it earlier with T. Higgins. Uh, for me... He's a flex starter every single week. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I think you can literally apply, and I know you mentioned him earlier when you said this as well. This is the end of the preseason for a lot of these guys, sort of speaking, and the fact that we didn't get preseason games. Jefferson has shown now that he's integrated into this offense. I think he's good to fire up every single week. Yep, volume, opportunity, yards. He He looks like he's there. For the Texans side here, Watson 20 points, uh, David Johnson 11, Will Fuller has a big bounce back game with 22, and Jordan Aiken 7. It's been a brutal schedule. We talked about this earlier. The the schedule makers did the Texans no favors whatsoever, yet this was the game I think we all circled as the one they had to win after the tough start to possibly boost them back into the playoffs. They lose here, go to 0-4. Bill O'Brien fired. I mean, what what does this do for you? I mean, I I I like Romeo Cornell. I thought he kind of got the short end of the stick in Cleveland. A lot of coaches have gotten the short end stick of Cle- in Cleveland, really. But when he was there, their defense played pretty good. I think he's a phenomenal defensive coach. I'll be interested to see what they do with the offense because I don't think the offense has been that great. Uh, so, with that being said, is it is it just Watson and, and Fuller for you? Yeah, it's probably. So am I the only one that did not realize Bill O'Brien was not calling the plays uh, before today? Because he, before he got fired, he's like, I think I'm going to take over calling the plays. And I'm like, I thought you already were. No, yeah, I think, well, because he stepped back last year, I think, at one point. And I, I didn't think I didn't know if he was or wasn't. It didn't matter to me. I mean, I, again, no, but I've I mean, been saying this since last year that I thought he, He's a very good coach, but he has not done a good job handling the GM duties since last year. And I've said from then that I thought he should be fired. Like, he just has not done a good job. Not all on him. Some of that is on Houston ownership as well for not bringing in a GM and and kind of helping right the ship here. 
uh, you know, I honestly, <laughs> Watson's really the only person I feel comfortable starting every single week. I mean, I'm putting Fuller in, but I think at best you're probably, for me, I view Fuller as a flex option every single week. If you get more than that, great, but I kind of am only viewing him as a flex option. Yeah, and I guess their offensive coordinator is Tim Kelly, who took over the play calling duties this offseason because I just looked it up. Uh, so I would not say their defense has looked very good either, and we're talking about no. the defense that ended last year giving up a 50-burger to the Chiefs. So they haven't looked good on either side of the ball. Players are visibly frustrated. I think what was more of the final straw for Bill O'Brien is not just that they're 0-4, but that they're 0-4 and their top two draft picks are owned by the Dolphins. So you're 0-4 yeah. and, and you have nothing to – I mean, it's not like you could even reasonably tank for any reason because you don't have any draft capital. And they, I don't know that there's a clear path for them to get better. It's really – seems to me that Bill O'Brien, the GM, got Bill O'Brien, the coach, fired. Um, yep. Because coaching-wise, he's he's been he's phenomenal. He's reasonably yeah. successful. We have not – you know, they've played some brutal schedules. They've made the playoffs. They made a somewhat decent run. I mean, the Chiefs are just a better team. They've had a lot of injuries, but, you know, the, the personality conflict with DeAndre Hopkins, I think – everyone's going to continue to second guess that, yep. you know, and all the fallout from that. You had Brandon Cooks yesterday who was healthy and in the game who didn't record a single reception. I think that speaks volumes. Cobb, who they went and got, wasn't really super involved. Uh, David Johnson has not really gotten on track, you know, so those are kind of premier offensive moves for an offensive coach. And, you know, Fortunately for them, they got Watson signed long-term, but they haven't really done anything to sufficiently build around him. Their line's not very good. They don't appear to have much of a running game. This receiver by committee is not working. And, you know, the frustrations we have in fantasy have got to be the frustrations that fans have too. It could be a long couple of years. Uh, you know, the lack oh, of draft assets and the roster makes you wonder what kind of, like, big-name coach is going to, be interested and in, you know if I'm the Texans I probably take this season to try to get a GM in first somebody who can build some excitement who's used to kind of doing quick rebuilds because there might be some painful moves for fans you know I know what it's like when your team's kind of caught in that weird limbo land you know somebody like JJ Watt does he end up getting moved so that they can try to rebuild assets because it's much like when you have dynasty you have players you love that are great players but your team's not yeah. going anywhere and that's your only assets to move it this is not the solution for Texans to me this is the beginning of of some sadness and that might be even more reason you you have to see a couple of weeks to see teams also go one of two ways when their coach gets fired they either seem to get that real energy spark and it, you know, it carries them to playing better or sometimes they go the other way. And I have honestly no idea where I think the Texans are going. Yeah. And again, that that's what I've been saying since last year, Bill O'Brien has made moves that make no sense to me whatsoever. I think, you know, I believe the way that I worded it and I think it still stands true today, especially with the Hopkins trade is the reason it was a bad idea to allow him to be the, um, whatever was GM. That wasn't the actual yeah, GM. GM. 
Well, yeah, but they gave him like a. It was, he was the interim GM to start with before they made yeah. him the GM after they fired. I think it was Rick Smith. Yeah, and I said it was a bad idea because Bill O'Brien was then looking at it and focusing on just that. That hey, I need to win now, or I'm not going to be here much longer. So he made all those very short sighted moves that is now going to cost Houston. I think more than a couple years. I I don't care if you bring in Bill Bill Belichick from the New England Patriots. This is they have nothing. He stripped them bare. I mean, you gave away your best wide receiver for a running back that has looked good on like three runs the entire year so far. You've got Deshaun Watson. You've re-signed a left tackle in Laramie Tunsil that's maybe top ten at his position, but you paid him as the top of the position. On defense, you literally have just J.J. Watt. You're right. Like they, If you talk about moving pieces to get something, the yeah, only pieces Clowney. you can move are Sean. Yeah, they let Clown. Yeah, they let Clowney go. I mean, you have they let him go. Yeah, you have Deshaun Watson and JJ are the only pieces you can possibly move at this point. And I mean, at the, you're not going to get much for Deshaun Watson. I mean, because of the fact that he's under that contract and everything, you'll get something like you'll get probably a first round pick, but you're not going to get back what you need to completely rebuild your team. So it's they're in a really bad spot, and it sucks too because I, I like Deshaun Watson. I, I mean, I got. It's bad, and it's going to be bad there for a long I, – I would say – I would be surprised if they make the playoffs in the next three to five years. I, I think it's going to be a, a long rebuild for them, unfortunately, and it sucks because – but The only benefit for them might be that their division because, you know, Tennessee's decent and seems in wow. decent shape, but they have some holes. The Colts, I have to be honest – have not, you know we'll get yeah, to their game in a minute. They don't look great, and Jacksonville is is in, has been in a rebuild. You know they're probably going to go full force into a rebuild. So there is some opportunity in their division, dependent, but it just Texans. Well, the reason I would be pessimistic on that is because. Well, I agree with you. I do think that Jacksonville has a lot of good offensive pieces already in place. If they get a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, it's an immediate step up for me right there. Then you just have to improve your defense. Indy is a Super Bowl team if they can get a quarterback, in my opinion. Like, I I, I mean, that offensive line, like, yeah, Hilton doesn't look great. We got to see what we can get out of Michael Pittman. But, I mean, that defense has been pretty good. Like, they're not – I'm sorry, they're not Baltimore's defense. I would say they're top 10 to 15 in the league. They've got the best offensive line. If Frank Wright could get his head out of his ass, he would realize they've got one of the best running backs. I know he hasn't been playing great, but they still have one of the best running backs behind the best offensive line. If they get a... Oh, no. The sad feelings about Jonathan Taylor may have led to uh, to a freeze there <laughs> for that. So, yeah, I, the division, it's going to be interesting to see uh, where the Texans go. Let's see if he reboots here.
All right, there we go. Okay, there you go. Internet was messing up there. I apologize, people. Um, but yeah, what I was saying was like I, maybe they're not as good as the Chiefs, but I think if they get a competent quarterback in there, they are still a. I would easily put them top five, six. Well, the AFC seems fucking loaded this year, but but they're going to be a very good team now. Tennessee, I'm with you. I, I mean, but they've been good. They almost made the Super Bowl last year. I just, I, for me, oh, Tennessee. I mean, it just, yeah. I just, I don't see. I think Texans right now, again, if, assuming Jacksonville gets a good quarterback in the draft, I think Texans are easily the worst team in the division. I just, I don't see much on all offense or defense that you're going to build around. I mean, Will Fuller's a nice piece. Can't ever stay healthy. You know, offensive line well, is not great. He's in a contract year, and they'll probably end up having to let him go. I would think so. Because yeah. that's the thing. They don't have a ton of cap space. Yeah. Poor Texans. From the Texans on to uh, what was arguably the worst football game on yesterday. That's our, I think the next two were the worst football games on yesterday. Yesterday, I have to say, yesterday's afternoon slate was yeah. a real was letdown. Horrible. After some yeah. pretty exciting and high-octane games in the morning, even – you know, Bills Raiders was the most watchable, but I, I, it was a, it was a tough afternoon slate. Yeah, Rams seventeen, Giants nine, uh, Daniel Jones ten, Devonta Freeman ten, Darius Slayton seven, Golden Tate six, and Evan Ingram nine. Uh, I think the best thing we saw out of this game was the fight at the end of the game. Uh, but are you willing to start any of the Giants moving forward? I'm giving Darius Slayton one more week because they are playing the Dallas Cowboys. And, <laughs> and it's, it's purely matchup-based because yeah. they don't eat, they don't look in sync in any way. I don't know if Jason Garrett feels so bad and so much loyalty to Jerry Jones that he's actively trying to take down a division rival to keep the hapless Cowboys in the, in the game. But their running game looks pretty terrible. Their passing game looks pretty terrible. Daniel Jones looks like he's taken 25 steps back. So, but they have the Cowboys. That could be a real get right game yeah. passing wise. You figure they're going to have to pass. If Slayton gives us another seven to 10 point game, I think he's, he's in that range that we were talking about with green and some of these other guys where yeah, I love you, buddy, but yeah, you can't do it. My my only hope for Slayton is, and I'm with you. Like I'm probably playing him this week because of the matchup. Um, Devonta Freeman looked a little bit better this week than he did last week, and you know I've said I think Darius Slayton's biggest issue is that he is the guy that defenses know they need to key in on. Like that, the Giants have no run. If Freeman can start to look better every single week, and and actually give defenses something to fear on the ground, that might open up things for Slayton because we saw. When they had to worry about Barkley, it allowed Slayton to get those one-on-one matchups that he would win. They're just not getting that right now. So I think Freeman coming on could be key for Slayton. This week could be a good matchup, obviously, because they're going up against the Cowboys. If Freeman continues to struggle, Slayton is not going to produce. On the Rams side, Goff 11 points, uh, Darrell Henderson 4, Malcolm Brown 10, Cooper Cup 17, Robert Woods 9, and Tyler Higby 5. Uh, just kind of a quiet day here. Uh, I think some of that had to do with they were on the East Coast last week, fly all the way back to California to practice, fly all the way back to East Coast, where in the past, non-COVID no, season. They were, at home. were they at home? I thought they yeah, played they at, at home. In, 
Oh, okay. No, well, I thought they LA. played it. I thought they played the uh, the Giants, but uh, I'm uh, sorry, not the. I know they played the Giants. I thought they played in that, but uh, just a, qu- a quiet day overall here for the Rams. Uh, your thoughts on the running back rotation here between Henderson and Malcolm Brown? It was dreadful. Uh, you know, Henderson, I thought looked really good the last two weeks when they gave him run, and instantly they gave him no run. I read a few things that said it was. It, it seemed to be like the lack of a crowd and how still and quiet it was in that place in LA. They just had no energy. Uh, maybe that was it. Um, but you know, it really seemed like they had found something in Henderson, and you know, he wasn't getting the ball. Brown. Didn't do a lot either. I don't think it's a particularly tough matchup. I mean, we've seen other teams run pretty solidly against the Giants no matter what. I mean, both Jarek McKinnon and Jeff Wilson had huge days for San Francisco. David Montgomery had his best game of the season playing against the Giants. Uh, Benny Snell looked like an all-pro playing against the Giants. So it's very confounding, the whole thing. You know, if it wasn't for one blown coverage at the end, Cooper Cup getting a 55-yard touchdown strike wide open, they didn't – I mean, nothing really was going. Um, So hopefully it was just a flat, bad day. But with Cam Akers eventually returning, I think this potentially is an even three-way split, which will be kind of a nightmare for fantasy. Yeah, and on that cup touchdown, he made a nice move to make that defender miss too because he he had a defender that was coming right at him. He had a nice little cut to make that Giants defender miss. Uh, another one of the crappy games there in the afternoon. Colts win 19-11. to Phillip over the Bears. Uh, Rivers 11 points. Jonathan Taylor 8. Naheem Hines 6. Zach Pascal 8. T.Y. Hilton 5. Demonte Cox 8. Uh, Trey Berton three and Jack Doyle two. Another team with a really Mo Alley Cox, not Demonte Cox. Gosh damn it! See, I, to, I get the college stuck in my head. Mo Alley Cox. Um, another team with just a horrible running back rotation that makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, what are your thoughts here? Jonathan Taylor still ends up with seventeen carries, but they give. Hines and Wilkins, nine carries each, and they seem to get a bulk of those in like the second and third quarter, and they were out there on those drives like almost the entire time. I understand. If you really go and look at the film, there's a bunch of people who've been breaking this down on Twitter. A guy that we've had on our show, uh, Nick, has been doing it, who I do respect his his film breakdowns. He's, and he shows that it looks like Jonathan Taylor is thinking too much and not necessarily hitting the holes he's supposed to. He's not looked great. That all being said, I think you're hurting his confidence by continually pulling him out and putting in these guys who, look, I like Naheem Hans. I liked him when he came out of NC State. But watching him try and run through defenders, is just, it's he cannot run through me. And I don't mean that as a slight toward Naheem Hines, but he's just, he's that's not his game. I don't understand what Frank Reich is doing. Yeah, and... Last last week, we were prone to say, well, they were up huge, so, you know, yeah. they used a lot of Wilkins because, you know, why risk Taylor out there? You already have Marlon Mack on. Or, but I put all those depth player stats on there to show that they, he apparently just wants to do a committee for everything. They used three tight ends. Trey Burton was the only one that got more than one reception. Mo Alley-Cox catches a nice 13-yard touchdown, doesn't get another reception the entire game. 
they used Doyle for one reception. They used Burt for a couple of receptions. It's almost how they were treating the running backs too. There, yeah. you know, for a while there, there was an almost dead even carry share, uh, yeah. which. So, uh, they're another one where they're a decent team, but for fantasy, they might be a nightmare. And <laughs> I said before, I know you guys were laughing, didn't want to believe that Zach Pascal might actually be their best scoring wide receiver. I, I think he is going to be their best scoring receiver. Oh, yeah. Helton's game is mo- is at its best when it's vertical. It does not seem like that is a capability their passing game right now. Now, Philip Rivers can't throw it more than five yards, it looks like. I mean, uh, you know, we talked about it before, and, you know, love Tony, feel bad for him because I, I know he was highly optimistic getting Rivers in hopes that he would look like the Rivers of old, and, and I don't think any of the three of us were on it, and it looks like we are probably going to be more right than than he was, unfortunately, with that. I don't know why. Well, we were... I thought Rivers would be decent, but yeah, it just hasn't panned out that way. Uh, on Chicago side here, Foles 11 points, Montgomery 10. Allen Robinson comes through, but really all like at the very end of the fourth quarter, getting you 23 points. And then Jimmy Graham, seven. Uh, Bears not looking much better than Foles. I, I know some people will probably disagree with me. I kind of feel like their offense looked better with Mitchell Trubisky for the most part. I know Mitchell Trubisky's probably not better than Foles, but it's just Foles has not looked good at all. Are, are, are you? I mean, I, I don't even know if I want to start Montgomery every week. I think it's just Robinson for me. Yeah, and I think the Bears late last week signed Lamar Miller. I was tempted to just chalk that up to kind of Tariq Cohen and the fact that they're behind Montgomery with Cohen gone for the year. They have yeah. Corderell Patterson and Ryan Nall. Montgomery's another one. Even with no Tariq Cohen, he was seemingly splitting carries with Corderell Patterson. Yeah, it wasn't – I don't know if their blocking's not that effective. Their offense just doesn't – it yeah. doesn't look great. And Matt, it's a bummer. Matt Nagy, another guy who I think is uh, not long for his job, unfortunately, even though they are well, sitting at 3-1. and one. And that's the thing. To make a bold move to go from Trubisky to Falls – you know, I think he rightly said he he's not going back because yeah, once you, you make that move, but but you were undefeated at the time, and not, you know they just don't don't look great. And I, you know, I, we think the the biggest hope was that people like Robinson, Montgomery, and Graham would stabilize in their expectation and value with Foles. And you're right. Allen Robinson didn't look good until they kind of had the garbage time drive to get a touchdown. So that gives me a moment of pause too. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, the best game here in the afternoon window, the Bills and the Raiders, Bills winning 32-23, Josh Allen 25 points, Singletary 18, Stephon Diggs 17, Cole Beasley 12, and John Brown 8. Bills keep rolling to 4-0. and Do you trust any of the receivers every week outside of Diggs? What about the Gabe Davis play, who he comes up with the big play in this one as well? Yeah. <clears throat> So it seems like Gabe Davis is eating into John Brown. That was kind of my reflection watching it because, you know, Diggs seems to have a pretty established role and has some pretty good chemistry. And I think you're right, though, the best flex option among the down receiver, you know, the receivers beyond Diggs is probably Cole Beasley. Good old Cole coming through for me yet again this week. Yeah. Well, that's uh, what Bob Long said in the offseason when we yep. 
looked at the consistency guide, he thought Cole Beasley would be the guy that can give you just a steady floor, and he has. And that's exactly why I've drafted him in some of the places I did, including the Scott Fishbowl uh, League. I got him really late. I think I got him in like that Mm -hmm. 17th, 18th round of that league. Like it was ridiculous how late I got him. He was one of the last players I drafted, and you know he's he's been phenomenal for me. On the Raiders side, Carr, 20 points. Jacobs, just 10. Aguilar, 14, who I had to start and ended up winning. Thank you. Thank you, Nelson Aguilar. And then uh, Darren. win touchdown roulette this week. So Yeah. Yeah. And Darren Waller, 15 points. Is there any receiver on the Raiders that you would feel confident starting every week? My answer to that is no. No, not even when Ruggs and Edwards come back because it seems like they have a five-headed monster in their play. I make jokes, but it really does seem like they're playing receiver roulette, which is great for them because it's it's they've been competitive and you're just trying to win football games. But for fantasy, that's that's a no go. Yeah, and I, I honestly think too with the way that they're so centered around Josh Jacobs, I was talking about that this morning as well. That I think it's actually hurting Jacobs' value as well. He's only put up ten points in the past three games. Outside of that week one, he has not looked good. And I think yeah. a lot of that is he, he's going to be touchdown dependent moving forward because teams know if they can key in on him and they can, they can stop car in the pass right now. They just don't have those dynamic weapons on the outside. So Jacobs is a guy that I, I would, you can't pull him out of your lineups, but I think you have to adjust your expectations for him at this point. Yeah. He's an RB too. All right, last uh, game of uh, the week four weekend. The Eagles beating the 49ers 25-20. Wentz gets 21 points, Miles Sanders 9, Greg Ward 7, and Zach Ertz 6.9. It was an ugly night for the Eagles. What are you doing moving forward with their offense for fantasy? First of all, I think their correct title is NFC East leading Philadelphia Eagles. My, my hopes are restored <coughs> in picking them to win the NFC East. I feel good getting, again, especially after a bad that division looks. Getting your first win in week four apparently doesn't disqualify you from being a playoff team. Uh, but it's been – it's tough if you own Miles Sanders because two rushing touchdowns the last two weeks have been – delivered by the quarterback. Uh, Carson's keeping his value decently in that QB2 range. Uh, Sanders might be in the unfortunate Jacobs position of being touchdown dependent because they don't have a high-volume passing offense. The one passing touchdown went to Travis Fulgram, which I know helped a lot of people in a lot of ways because he was a guy we were all, oh, wait. Um, But even Ertz seems to not be immune from this. Ertz at one point he had like four receptions for nine yards. I was looking at like not great. And Peters is on the shelf for a while, right? So yeah. Their line's not gonna get better for most of the season. Yeah, if if the season. Yeah, I I do think some of that comes into how good San Francisco's defense is. Even though they've lost some pieces, they're still a very good defense. But uh, yeah, for me, I think it's Sanders. You've you've I think you've gotta roll with Ertz just because tight end all it takes is a touchdown to help kind of win you that week at, at that matchup, and I think Ertz can get that for you, but I'm not sold on uh, – you know, we've been talking about it for weeks now that we are not uh, in on Carson Wentz anymore. So, for me, it's just those two. Uh, for San Francisco, uh, Mullins gets you six. Jarek McKinnon has the big day here with 22. Ayuk, 
13. And of course, George Kittle announces his presence. 40 points in this one. Uh, Mullins, all the talk on Twitter about Mullins being better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I think all those people kind of climbed back under the rock they came from. That that did not look good last night. Kittle just absolutely destroys. But Brandon Ayuk, I talked about him on the podcast with Ricky and Stoops. I said he was my sleeper to be rookie of the year out of the NFC because I think he fits that system well. He's a better version of Debo and we saw what Debo can do had a phenomenal uh hurdle last night uh jumping over that defender what were your thoughts on on uh Ayuk and the rookie what are your thoughts about him moving forward yeah and I think it only helps him that Debo is back right because that gives yes. another person that defenses have to focus on um and, and he's looked good they they used both those guys uh a little bit in the running game they used both of them in the passing game um, I think you're right. Any co- quarterback controversy that was potentially brewing uh, ended as soon as C.J. Beathard enter- entered the game last night. Um, Mullins, he looked good at times the last two weeks, but he had that killer interception that basically killed their game, uh, you know, and kill- killed his team. Kittle looks great. Ayuk looks like he might be developing into a weapon. They they made that kind of commitment to go with a little bit younger receivers. They moved up in the draft to get Ayuk, and I think you're seeing why. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. All right, we're going to touch on the two games really quick, one of which is about to start in the Patriots and Chiefs for New England. Edelman is questionable. Sony Michelle moved to IR, which means it's Damian Harris season, baby. He's going to come back and help all of my one in three teams. I'm super excited. I've, I've been holding on to yeah. him all this time, but uh, I am excited to see what he does tonight. Uh, on KC's side, anybody uh, sneaky that you're wanting to play and any thoughts on the the running back by committee that is always known as New England? Yeah, I mean, I think other than the big four, Watkins is probably the one that, that you know, I, I thought Dennis made some good points about that. Um, I actually ended up subbing Watkins in for Devontae Adams in one of the leagues where I had him because uh, that's what I needed for the Patriots. With Hoyer as a quarterback, you know, you're probably playing Edelman. I'm, I would fade yeah. Harry and any other receivers. James White comes back, um, supposed to be back tonight. Uh, excited to see him, but I think White – Burkhead, Harris, somebody's going to be great, somebody's going to be okay, and somebody's going to get left out in the cold, and good luck picking. Yeah, I joke about the Harris thing. Just watch, he's going to go out there and have a phenomenal game tonight, and they're going to give him three carries next week. So that's just the way that the New England Patriots are. Uh, Falcons and Packers, uh, both Ridley and Julio are questionable. I, I, I do think they both play, but what is your plan B if they don't gauge in – Oh, I think it's the, the original Oz. Olamide Ol- Ol- Zacharias or Zacchaeus. Yeah, we'll go or, with the original Oz. That sounds better. Yeah, original Oz. Um, yeah, probably him or, uh, you know, I might actually. So the more interesting pick of Darius Shepard, uh, largely available for the yeah. Packers, figures to have a role because we know we're not getting Adams and Lazard's gone. They can't just all go to MBS. I actually like Robert Tanyan a little bit. We've seen him get more involved steadily. Uh, tight end position was the second most targeted among receivers last year for Green Bay, so I could see that being. But that you know, you're really kind of limited if you end up losing a Ridley or a Julio or a Devontae Adams. You're not replacing those points, but you might patch it over. Those would probably be my three suggestions. Yeah, I mean, anything's better than a zero at this point. And then on Green Bay side, as you mentioned, Adams is out. Uh, so aside from MVS, 
Jay Sternberger, Bobby Tanyan, baby. That's that's about all yeah. that you got uh, you got going or for it. Maybe Shepard. Maybe Shepard. No, no Shepard. MBS, I need you tonight, man. I need a win in Scott Fishbowl. I am begging you. I will Wait. never say another bad thing about you ever again. I need you. You just need him to catch I, one 40 yard bomb and you're okay. It's not gonna happen. It's not going to happen. I already know it's not going to happen. I'm getting my hopes up that I'm going to get my first Scott Fishbowl win. And I'm telling you, MVS, one catch for 38 yards. I'm going to lose by two points. I'm calling it right now. What I hear you saying is sleep is overrated. You're going to pull an all-nighter on a Monday, and the rest of this work week is going to be I felt like crap last night. I I went to bed at 12.30 last night, had to get up at 3.30 this morning. Sleep's overrated. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play?